0: Chapter six part two of a narrative of a revolutionary soldier by Joseph Plum Martin. Campaign of seventeen eighty part two. After the British had retreated to New York, our army marched for West Point. We passed through the highlands by the Clove, a remarkable chasm in the mountains, and came out on the bank of the Hudson River at a place called Buttermilk Falls, where a small stream falls into the river over a high, craggy bank forming a pretty cascade. We halted here, it was in the morning, and I well remember our colonel's orders on the occasion. "'Men,' said he, "'you have one hour allowed you to refresh yourselves. Had we been herbaceous animals, we might have refreshed ourselves on browse, for there was no deficiency of that, but as to victuals fit for human beings, I questioned if there was five pounds' weight in the whole regiment. I had none, nor had I any for twenty-four hours. We were, at this time, ruminating animals, but our ruminating was mentally, not by teeth. Had the falls been real buttermilk, the Colonel's order might have been given with some propriety. But as it was not so, we were forced to be patient, for we did not expect to be fed by a miracle. We passed on to West Point. The Connecticut forces crossed the river to the eastern side, and encamped opposite to West Point, upon what was called Nelson's Point. It was now very hot summer, being the latter part of June. Here, for a considerable length of time, our rations, when we got any, consisted of bread and salt shad. This fish, as salt as fire, and dry bread, without any kind of vegetables, was hard fare in such extreme hot weather as it was then. We were compelled to eat it as it was. If we attempted to soak it in a brook that ran close by the camp, we were quite sure to lose it there being a great attendance of otters and minks in and about the water, four-legged and two-legged, but much the largest number of the latter, so that they would be quite sure to carry off the fish, let us do what we would to prevent it. Soon after we were encamped here I was sent off with a working party to work upon some fortifications on Constitution Island, a mile or two higher up the river. We had our allowance of salt, shad, and bread, and were to remain there a week Our duty was, chiefly, wheeling dirt upon a stone building intended for a magazine. We had to wheel to the top of the wall, which was about twenty feet high, upon a way two planks wide, and in the passage we had to cross a chasm in the rocks thirty or forty feet wide and perhaps as many deep. None of us happened to take a dive into it, but it often made my head swim when crossing it at such a rate, and I thought it would not be strange if some of us should feel a bottom before we left there. From the planks, which we wheeled upon, to the bottom of the hole, could not be less than sixty feet. If any one had fallen into it, he would have received his discharge from the army without further trouble. We continued at this business two or three days, when the weather became so hot that it was difficult to breathe. The rays of the sun reflected from the bare rocks, all that part of the island where we were being mostly so, was stifling in the extreme and to complete a bad business there was not a drop of water on the island, except the brackish water of the river, and that was as warm as milk and almost as nauseous as the waters of the Nile after it had felt the effects of Moses's rod. There was no shade, and we had no tents. We could get no refreshment but in a place where were two high points of rocks budding upon the shore, which caused a small drought of wind, when there was any air stirring, from the river, Here we repaired two or three hours, in the heat of the day, and then went to work again till dark. After we had been two or three days at this invigorating business, the troops were inspected by General Steuben. When he found out our situation, he ordered us off immediately. You may as well knock those men on the head, said he, as keep them there. They will die if kept there much longer, and they can do no more if you knock their brains out. He had more sense than our officers, but they did not feel the hardships which we had to undergo, and of course cared but little, if anything at all, about us. We were called off, and I never was so glad to get clear of any duty as I was to get clear of that. A state prison would be preferable to it, for there one might chance to get something to eat, or at least to drink. And now there was to be a material change in our circumstances, which, in the long run, was much in my favor. There was a small corps to be raised by enlistments, and in case of the failure of that, by drafts from the line. These men were called sappers and miners, to be attached to the engineer's department. I had known of this for some time before, but never had a thought of belonging to it, although I had heard our Major, to whose company I belonged, tell some of our officers, after I had neatly marked his name upon his chest, that if there was a draft from our regiment, he intended I should go although, he added, he did not wish to part with me. I, however, thought no more about it till a captain of the Corps applied for a draft of one man from each regiment throughout the whole army present. This captain was personally acquainted with our major, and told him he would like to have him furnish him with a man from the regiment that he knew was qualified for a non-commissioned officer. The major then pitched upon me how far he was to be justified in his choice the reader may perhaps be enabled to judge by the construction of this present work i give him free consent to exercise his judgment upon it i was accordingly transferred to this corps and bid a farewell for ever to my old comrades as it respected any further associating with them or sharing in their sufferings or pleasures i immediately went off with this now my captain and the other men drafted from our brigade and joined the corps in an old meeting-house at the Peekskill. It was after dark when we arrived there. I had now got among a new set, who were, to a man, entire strangers to me. I had, of course, to form new acquaintances, but I was not long in doing that. I had a pretty free use of my tongue, and was sometimes apt to use it when there was no occasion for it. However, I soon found myself at home with them. We were all young men, and therefore easy to get acquainted." I found nothing more here for belly timber than I had in the line, and got nothing to eat till the second day after I had joined the corps. I have heard it remarked by the old farmers, that when beasts are first transferred from one place to another, that if they keep them without food for two or three days, it will go far towards wanting them to their new situation. Perhaps it might be so thought by our commanders. Be that as it would, I got nothing, as I have said, till the second day I had been with them. We then drew, if I remember right, two days' rations of our good old diet, salt-shad, and as we had not as yet associated ourselves into regular messes, as is usual in the army, each man had his fish divided out by himself. We were on the green before the meeting-house, and there were several cows feeding upon the place. I went into the house to get something to put my fish into, or some other business, and stayed longer than I intended, or rather ought to have done, for when I came out again, One of the cows was just finishing her meal on my shad, the last I saw of it was the tail of a fish sticking out of the side of her mouth. I was vexed enough to have eaten the weight of it off her carcass, but she took care of that, and I had another opportunity, if well improved, of mortifying my body by fasting two days longer. But I got something among the men, as poorly as they were off, to sustain nature till I could get more by some means or other. Such shifts were nothing strange to us. This corps of miners was reckoned an honorable one. It consisted of three companies. All the officers were required to be acquainted with the sciences, and it was desirable to have as intelligent young men as could be procured to compose it, although some of us fell considerably short of perfection. Agreeable to the arrangement between my former commander and my new captain, I was appointed a sergeant in this corps, which was as high an office as I ever obtained in the army, which I had some doubts in my own mind at the time whether I was altogether qualified for that. However, I was a sergeant, and I think I did use my best abilities to perform the duties of the office according to my best knowledge and judgment. Indeed, I can say at this late hour of my life that my conscience never did, and I trust never will, accuse me of any failure in my duty to my country, but on the contrary, I always fulfilled my engagements to her." however she failed in fulfilling hers with me the case was much like that of a loyal and faithful husband and a light-heeled wanton of a wife but i forgive her and hope she will do better in the future soon after i had joined this corps the army moved down on the west side of the hudson to orange town commonly called by the inhabitants of those parts Tappan. just before arriving at our encamping ground we halted in the road an hour or two Some four or five of our men, knowing that the regiments to which they formerly belonged were near, slipped off for a few minutes to see their old messmates. When we came to march again, they not having returned, I was ordered to remain with their arms and knapsacks till they came and then bring them on and join the corps again. I accordingly waited an hour or two before they all returned. As soon as I had got them all together we set off but the troops arriving and passing in almost every direction, I knew not where to go to find our corps. After much trouble and vexation, being constantly interrogated by the passing officers who we were and how we came to be behind our troops, I concluded that as most or all of the troops had passed us, to stay where I then was, and wait the coming up of the baggage of our troops, thinking that the guard or drivers might have directions where to find them our baggage happening to be quite in the rear, while we were waiting we had an opportunity to see the baggage of the army pass. When that of the Middle States passed us, it was truly amusing to see the number and habiliments of those attending it. Of all specimens of human beings, this group capped the whole. A caravan of wild beasts could bear no comparison with it. There was tag, rag, and bobtail, some in rags and some in jags, but none in velvet gowns some with two eyes, some with one, and some, I believe, with none at all. They beggared all description. Their dialect, too, was as confused as their bodily appearance was odd and disgusting. There was the Irish and Scotch brogue, murdered English, that insipid Dutch, and some lingos which would puzzle a philosopher to tell whether they belonged to this world or some undiscovered country. I was glad to see the tail-end of the train, and waited with impatience for the arrival of our baggage, which soon after made its appearance, but the men with the wagons knew no better than myself where to go. We, however, proceeded, and soon after met one of the sergeants coming to meet and conduct us to where our people were, which was at Dobbs Ferry, and about three miles from any part of the rest of the army. Most of the artillery belonging to the army was at the same place. Here we lay till the close of the campaign, We built a strong blockhouse near the ferry, in which we were assisted by detachments from the main army, and erected a battery near it. But that fiend, scarcity, followed us here, and when we chanced to get any meat we had no salt. For a long time we had to go three-fourths of a mile to the river to get water, which was somewhat salt, before we could cook our breakfasts. This was trifling, however, compared with the trouble of having nothing to cook, which was too often the case with us. There was, indeed, a plenty of fruit to be had, and we being few in number, and so far from the main army, this resource was not soon or easily exhausted. But there were mosquitoes enough to take a pound of blood from us, while we could make an ounce. We had some plague or other always to torment us, says the reader, who is without. Soon after our arrival here, a British brig passed up the river, the same that conveyed the unfortunate Major Andre to his bane poor man, he had better have stayed where he was better acquainted. I was about this time ordered to return up the river, in company with one of our lieutenants, after some clothing for our men. The lieutenant rode in company with an officer of the artillery, who was going that way upon business of his own, and I went on foot, and started early in the morning with only my blanket and provisions, that is, if I had any. It was very hot weather, and when I had travelled about ten miles on my way, being on a good road, in the heat of the day, and passing through a considerable wood, a young lady made her appearance at a turn of the road about forty rods ahead of me. The heat had induced her to divest herself of some of her outer garments, but upon discovering me in her immediate neighborhood, she slipped on her clothes, and came on towards me seemingly quite unconcerned, but on thinking better of the matter, as I supposed, she concluded that it would not be quite safe to encounter a soldier in such a place. She accordingly turned about, and made her escape as fast as possible through the bushes. When she first started from the road, I saw her drop something, and she partly turned about to take it up, but thinking that it would not do to stop for trifles when the enemy was so near, she resumed her race. I then hallowed to her, which caused her to hasten her departure in double-quick time. Upon coming to the place where she turned off from the road, I had the curiosity to see what she had dropped it proved to be a knot of black ribbon, of about a yard and a half. Not knowing but the poor thing might take another fight if she came back after it, I concluded to save her the trouble, and accordingly took it with me. She seemed to be in a violent panic, but every miss that I saw while in the army was not so easily frightened. I crossed King's Ferry and went on to the foot of the highlands, where there was a commissary and wagoneers, boatmen, etc., Here I again joined my lieutenant, and obtained a ration or two of provisions, consisting of corned beef and hard bread, borrowed a pot, cooked my meal, ate my supper, turned in under an old wagon, and slept soundly till an hour before day, when the lieutenant called me up to go on to Newburgh, about twenty miles further up the river. He had procured a bateau and five or six men to convey us up and bring down the clothing which we were after. We had a mile or two to go to reach the boat over ledges, through brush, and as dark as Egypt. We then proceeded to Newburgh, where we got our clothing. While I was packing it away in empty hogsheads, the lieutenant gave me a hint to take care of my own interest. I accordingly picked from the best of each article what was allowed to each man, and bundled them up by themselves. Afterwards, when a distribution was made, some of the sergeants were a little inclined to cavil with me for my partiality to myself, but the lieutenant interfered in my favour, telling them that I deserved the preference, as I had been to so much pains and trouble while they had remained at home at their ease. We returned down the river on our way to camp until we came to where we took the boat, when I was set on shore to take the lieutenant's and the other officers' horses to King's Ferry, while the lieutenant went down in the boat. I took the horses and went on alone to the ferry. On the way, being hungry, my provisions, if I had any, being in the boat, I saw some fine-looking apples in a field and dismounted and filled my pockets with them and ate a considerable quantity. They were sweet and of rather a tough texture and caused me considerable trouble, as I shall relate by and by. I crossed the ferry in a large scow. There were ten or twelve head of cattle besides my horses in the boat. About midway of the river, a cow jumped out and took her departure directly down the river. It being ebb tide and the water rapid, she was soon out of sight there was not the least exertion made to save her. She was continental property, and consequently thought of but little consequence. I landed and soon found my officer, who had arrived some time before me. He had got our baggage into a wagon, which had gone on, and he was waiting for me. We should have gone down to Dobbs Ferry with the boat, had it not been for the British brig vulture, which was lying just below King's Ferry, waiting upon Arnold and André there was a large number of wagons, teamsters, and soldiers at the ferry. Everything destined to the army coming down the river was obliged to be landed here on account of the above-mentioned brig. When I had found the lieutenant, he took his horse, leaving the other with me, and sent me back to the river's side on an errand. I did as ordered, and then went on after him and our baggage. I had gone but a small distance before my apples began to operate. I had felt their effects some time before. I now began to think the game was up with me. My head ached as though it was splitting into ten thousand pieces, and my sight entirely failed. I got, or rather tumbled, off my horse and lay on the ground, giving myself up for lost. The lieutenant, finding I did not make my appearance, came back to seek me. He found me in a sad condition. I asked him to give me some water. He got some that was quite warm, and it was well for me that it was so for I had no sooner swallowed it than it caused me to discharge the contents of my stomach, which quickly gave me ease. I then got upon his horse, which had a soft deer's skin for a saddle-cloth, and he walked by my side and led my horse. I again asked him for water. He went into a house a little distance from the road, in which was no person except an old man. The lieutenant asked him for a vessel to dip some water from a spring nearby, which was six or eight feet deep. But the old man refused, saying that he would not let a soldier have a cup to drink from if it were to save his life. The officer then took a glass pint mug and came out to me, the old man following him, raving like a madman. The lieutenant gave me some water, and after I had drank, he flung the mug into the spring with a motion that seemed to indicate that he was not well pleased, upon which the old man redoubled his abuse, when the lieutenant drawing his sword, swore that if he did not immediately shut his mouth, he would bleed him. The old man, seeing the sword glitter, thought it best to shut up whilst his skin was whole, and walked off to the house, and we went on. This officer was a very mild man, but the old man had raised his ideas by abusing the soldiers, which he would not bear from anyone. We went on and overtook the wagons, but I felt very meagre all day. I never before thought myself so near death, and it was all occasioned by eating a few apples. But less things than these may deprive a man of life. This was one suffering of a revolutionary soldier. There were more than fifty wagons in company with us, bound to the army. We halted at night at a cluster of houses. The lieutenant took up his abode for the night in a farmer's house. I stayed out with the wagons. In the evening I strolled into a cornfield, upon some occasion or other, where I discovered a large patch of watermelons. I took one and went to the wagon and ate it. Although the lieutenant had given me a strict charge not to meddle with any kind of fruit until I had fully digested the apples. He insisted upon my lodging in the house from fear of taking cold, but I chose to keep with our baggage, which I did till supper-time. He then sent out to me to come in and get supper. I could not well refuse this invitation, and went in. The lady of the house provided me a rarity—hominy and milk. The lieutenant— again urged me to stay in the house, but I pretended that our clothing might be in danger unless I attended to it. He said no more to me, but left me to regulate my own conduct. It was not the clothing I had so much at heart, though that bore some weight on my mind, but the thought of the luscious watermelons was what so strongly attracted my mind in that direction. Accordingly, when all was still, I went and took as many as I thought necessary, stowed them into the wagon, and then lay down under it, and slept very contentedly till morning, without once thinking of the danger of the baggage. We started early next morning and arrived at Dobbs's Ferry about noon. Soon after this journey, one night the British brig came down the river with her precious charge, Arnold, on board. There were several shots discharged at her as she passed the blockhouse, but she went by without paying as much attention. The next day it was reported that General Arnold had deserted. I should as soon have thought West Point had deserted as he, but I was soon convinced that it was true. Had I possessed the power of foreknowledge, I might twice have put Arnold asleep without any one knowing it, and saved the life of perhaps a better man, and my country much trouble and disgrace. The first time was at the Peekskill in a barn, just before Andre came to his quarters, and while their clandestine negotiation was in progress. I was upon a guard there are men says shakespeare who in their sleep mutter all their conceits such a one was arnold and therefore afraid to sleep near any one lest he should babble his conceits in his sleep he ordered me and my guard out of the barn that he might have his bed upon the floor i was so put out of my bias at the time that had i known what plans he had in his head i should have needed but little persuasion to have had a reckoning with him The other time was but three or four days before his desertion. I met him upon the road a little distance from Dobbs Ferry. He was then taking his observations and examining the roads. I thought that he was upon some deviltry. We met at a notch of the roads, and I observed he stopped, and sitting upon his horse, seemed minutely to examine each road. I could not help taking notice of him, and thought it strange to see him quite alone in such a lone place. He looked guilty— and well he might for satan was in as full possession of him at that instance as ever he was of judas it only wanted a musket ball to have driven him out i had been acquainted with arnold from my childhood and never had too good an opinion of him the british had a blockhouse below said to be garrisoned by a gang of fugitive negroes commanded by a black by the name of cuff colonel cuff one night a black man a runaway came to one of our sentinels at our blockhouse when he came up he addressed the sentinel with is this colonel cuffy's Brockhouse? the sentinel called the commander of the guard who quickly undeceived poor caesar and sent him back to his master where no doubt he got a striped jacket as part of his uniform suit to remember colonel cuff by our people had a number of spy boats lying a little distance above the ferry one night one of these boats went down the river and anchored not far from the western shore which was there very high placed a sentinel in the boat, and lay down to rest. A British boat, getting intelligence of them, rowed up with muffled oars, keeping close under the highland, in the shadow of the mountains, the moon being in that quarter, till they had got above them, and then came directly down upon them. The sentinel immediately roused up the men in the boat, one of them having his musket charged with buckshot, Yankee peas, as the British used to call them, challenged them with, Who comes there? We will quickly let you know. The man in our boat answered, Here's give you our megira then, and gave them the contents of his musket, which caused a bitter lamentation in the British boat. Our people had now cut their cable, and got to their oars. They rowed a small distance, and lay to for the enemy's boat to come up, when they all fired into her, and again sprang to their oars. Our boat could row much faster than the other, which still followed her. They kept up a constant fire upon each other till they got nearly up to the ferry, where there were a few troops encamped, who, running down upon the bank of the river, prepared to give the English boat a seasoning, but the enemy, seeing them, gave over the chase and went back down the river. What execution our people did among them was not known, but one of our men received a musket-ball directly in the middle of his forehead, which passed out behind his head. This was done about eleven o'clock at night and I saw him at nine next morning alive, and breathing just like a man in a sound sleep. He died in about an hour after. About this time Major André was brought from the Highlands to headquarters, where he was examined, condemned, and executed. I saw him before his execution, but was on duty that day and could not attend, otherwise I should. He was an interesting character. There has been a great deal said about him, But he was but a man, and no better, nor had he better qualifications than the brave Captain Hale, whom the British commander caused to be executed as a spy upon Long Island in 1776 without the shadow of a trial, denying him the use of a Bible, or the assistance of clergyman in his last moments, and destroying the letters he had written to his widowed mother and other relations. André had every indulgence allowed him that could be granted with propriety. See the contrast— Let all who pity André so much look at it and be silent. We were frequently alarmed while lying at Dobbs Ferry. Being so few and at a distance from the army, we had constantly to be on the lookout, but never happened to come in contact with the enemy, although they very frequently made us believe we should. While lying here I was almost persuaded once that I should have to take a trip to New York, but was quite agreeably disappointed. One day my captain sent me across the country to the western part of Connecticut, to bring him some mathematical instruments he had left there. He directed me which way to take, as it was dangerous travelling there on account of the small parties of British, or rather refugees and cowboys, in their service. I knew the way very well, but I knew, too, there was a way lower down that was shorter. I determined, after I had crossed the river, to take that road and hazard the consequences. I HAD GOT ABOUT HALFWAY ON MY JOURNEY, WHEN JUST AT NIGHT I PASSED A HOUSE WHICH BEFORE THE WAR HAD BEEN A TAVERN. I PASSED BY THE HOUSE THOUGHTLESSLY, AND SAW NOBODY, BUT AS I PASSED THE HORSE-SHED, I OBSERVED SEVERAL HORSES STANDING UNDER IT, COMPARISONED LIKE DRAGOON HORSES. I HURRIED ON AS FAST AS I COULD GO TO GET OUT OF SIGHT, BUT I HAD NOT GOT MANY RODS BY THE HOUSE WHEN I SAW A MAN COME OUT WITH A fuse IN HIS HAND AND OTHERWISE EQUIPPED LIKE A SOLDIER, WHO CALLING AFTER ME BID ME STOP. I was so near him and entirely unarmed that I dare not refuse his demand. He stepped along slowly a few paces towards me, inquiring where I was going and where I came from. I now inwardly cursed my indiscretion in not obeying my captain's directions, respecting the road I ought to have taken. I asked him the same questions he had asked me. He said that was nothing to the purpose. He had first interrogated me, and I must answer him. He kept all the time advancing slowly towards me. I wished we were further apart. By this time two or three more of his party had come out of the house and were standing looking at us. I then told him to tell me who he was and where from, and keep me no longer in suspense. As he advanced, I receded as much as I dared to, till he preemptorily told me not to go any further, till I had satisfied him who I was and where I was going. By this time I began to gather courage. I thought that if he belonged to the enemy, he would not stand so long without my knowing who he was, by stronger arguments than words. I at last told him frankly who I was and where bound. Well, said he, I thought you were upon some particular business, or you would not have been seen on this dangerous road. He then asked me to go back to the house and take some refreshment. But I declined his invitation. Being glad to find myself safe and in my own hands, I went on and accomplished my business, but took care to return on a safer road. We lay at Dov's Ferry till the latter part of the month of October, when we marched to West Point for winter quarters. I left this place with regret, more so than any other during my continuance in the army. It was upon an account which I need not mention. Many young men have, doubtless, felt the same upon similar occasions. If they have, they know my feelings at the time I speak of. But this time was long since gone by, and my affections with it, both gone with the years beyond the flood, never more to return. We marched for West Point. At the Peekskill, we procured bateaux to convey ourselves and baggage up the river to the point, where we arrived in safety and went into the old barracks until new ones could be built for us, which we immediately commenced. We had to go six miles down the river and there hew the timber then carry it on our shoulders to the river, and then raft it to West Point. We, however, soon completed this part of the business ourselves, when the carpenters took it in hand, and by New Year's Day they were ready to receive us. Till then we had been living in the old barracks, where there were rats enough, had they been men, to garrison twenty West Points. Our barracks being completed, and we safely stowed away in them, I shall here conclude the campaign of 1780. N of Chapter 6, Part 2.